Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon-to-be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Welcome to season four, episode three of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm joined today with Athel Han. Han? Han? How do I pronounce your last Han. name? Han, sorry. Han. Yeah. He is our first participant on this podcast from Australia. It is 6 a.m. there at the time that we're recording over here in America, which is 4 p.m. So a much huge gratitude towards him for being willing to wake up so early being on the podcast. Welcome, Athel, to the podcast. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So I'm going through your CV and I love that it's kind of the same as a American nurse CV, but also very different as well. So we're going to start just by asking the question I ask everybody, why did you become a nurse? Yeah, it's, it's always that, that, that age old question, isn't it? Um, and f- funny enough, I, I was doing some preparation last night because I've, I'm about to start a new job as a nurse educator on a, on a medical ward of all places. Um, and I'm going to introduce myself today. So I was looking back and saying, well, how am I going to introduce myself to these, <laughs> to these people? Um, and I was thinking about, well, you know, they want to know where you come from, who you are, what inspired you to, to become nurse. And um, for me, I, I got into nursing um, at the last stroke, I suppose, at the last minute. Um, I'm from a dairy farm and um, I was meant to do another degree and it turns out that, uh, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't, wasn't really that energized by this other degree, which was exercise science and was having all these thoughts and questions. And, um, the, the story now, this is how I remember, I don't know how true it is, but I, I asked my grandmother what, to, well, I must've been talking to my grandmother about some of the decisions that I was trying to make. And she goes, well, why don't you try nursing? Um, and I went, oh, Oh, I don't see my, I don't know if I could be a male nurse. I'm not, I'm not sure. And she goes, no, I think, I think you would actually quite enjoy, you know, especially around the, the life sciences and the biology and you enjoy helping people. And th- those are the common themes. And I just jumped in and haven't, haven't looked back really. And, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a great decision. That's awesome. And so you, you originally got your certificate in nursing, which I assume is kind of uh, similar to our certificate programs or associate degree programs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I, it's a bachelor's degree here. I um, yeah, so I went to university for three years and then completed that. And at the end of it, you come away with the um, degree in nursing and start off as a registered nurse. So oh, that's um, awesome. I, I'm actually, I'm not sure how it lines up with the US model, but um, yeah. Well, I, I will say that there's there's several different pathways into nursing over here. So there's a diploma program, and that's usually offered by a hospital that has an associated nursing program with it. There's an associate's degree program, which is a two-year program at mo- most uh, community hospital, community colleges. And then there's your traditional baccalaureate degree, which is four years. Then they kind of rolled out this, this uh, advanced second degree program. So if you have a bachelor's in something else, you only spend 18 months of your life getting your um, bachelor's of nursing. And I don't think there's any other ways into nursing, into the RN licensure over here. So it's, it's, it's similar um, to, to you guys. I think you guys have a three-year program where we have a traditional four-year program. So, 
but mm-hmm. either way it's it's pretty comparable across across a, a large ocean shall we say yeah. <laughs> absolutely so then you took your first job um as a nurse what kind of unit or place did you work for so i i started off in a graduate program it, it it was a two-year graduate program and the first rotation I had was in general medical. Um, and then I was there for six months and then transitioned into oncology, um, then moved into orthopedics and neurosurgery for the next six months. And, and then for the last six months of the two-year program, I uh, ended up in intensive care, whereas that's where I was wanting to be f- um, at that time. And so I was pretty excited and, and I stayed there for, for a couple of years. That's really awesome that you got to rotate through all of these different like uh, specialties in a way to kind of experience what you liked and what you didn't like, and then found yourself loving ICU nursing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it was great. It's great experience, and it was it's great foundational knowledge. Um, I really really cherished that time, um, learning and developing my skills and honing, you know, just some of the basic bits and pieces of dealing with people and, and, you know, prioritization. And uh, it was a really, it was, it was a fantastic warm up to intensive care nursing. Um, it was still a, a fairly big shock to the system when I got to intensive care nursing, but you know, sure it was. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that I really cherish that. And uh, I'd love to see that in more programs. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally going to um, probably explain this to my nurse educator because I think, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, because you might still have the same problems as we do over here, but retention is a huge issue. And most nurses want to experience other things even before they uh, come on the unit. And then oftentimes, you know, you get two years of experience and they're off to do something else for another like length of time, whether that be for school, whether it be for another degree, whatever. Um, but I think this might be a really unique thing that Australia does that US might be able to do, but I'm not sure if that relates to retention in any way do, do you guys still have like retention issues after a while yes um you've you've touched on a passion point of mine um oh yeah yes, we, we'll get to all of that later for sure <laughs> um but yeah retention's retention is huge here too um and we find um and i find clinically as well we've had this massive gap you know that that one to three year period we have a massive drop off people leave do you know, and the, there's research showing that as well. So we we certainly have that. And um, the research that I know quite well is that we, we're losing 15% of the nursing workforce every year um, to turnover. Uh, and, you know, that's the multitude of factors. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's certainly certainly an issue here as well. Mm, that's interesting because, you know, I'm kind of always looking for like different ways of looking at retention. Um, I know it's a passion point of yours. And, you know, some things you hear, like, like we've done uh, nurse residency the same way, I think for the last eight years or so that at least my hospitals had it. And it hasn't gotten better in terms of like improving retention, but perhaps mentioning something like a, like, like a rotation through the units may be a better fit for some nurses than others. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's worth a, worth I, a try. I'm telling you. So then you decided to leave that role and become an emergency nurse with a part-time contract. Do hospitals over there run on contracts um, or is it something that you have done outside of it and you get hired into something like different permanently? Explain that process of contracts. Yeah, so um, 
there's it's coming more and more prominent i guess um that that you you're in a you're on a contract basis so it runs for a year um or two years or now it's mainly probably yearly contracts okay. could be less um so i i left that permanent position um and i left nursing for a period of time but then at um from there i turned into went and did casual nursing um and just come in and out of the emergency department um and then i yeah and then i got uh i think it was a six-month contract in an emergency department and i think i'm pretty sure from memory that was to cover maternity leave um and so it was bridging that gap um that position that position turned into um part-time hours um permanent part-time hours um, but it seems to be more, it seems to be happening more and more where you'll start off on a contract hours and then when permanent hours come up, um, we, we do. So within the Australian healthcare system, obviously it's a public system and you're employed by the, the public healthcare system within a hospital. Um, and then uh, depending on the workforce needs, there is um, agency nursing or travel nursing probably you, you would know know about yeah. where people will come in for um, a specific contract for a specific time um, and I've done it I've done a little bit of that as well um, and yeah so there, there is I guess there is some definitely some crossover there that's awesome a friend of mine is actually in Perth right now living mm. there with her husband because he's doing a specific training I don't know which hospital it is in neurosurgery though and so she took travel contracts to work for this company and she kind of rotates through I think like four different hospitals and I'm eager to talk to her about it because I don't know if it's like if like what it's like if it's different than U.S. healthcare you know if if the if the policies and stuff are way different so I'm really interested in picking her brain because I think that they're same but like you know it, it can be like way different over there with policies and whatnot but you know so it'll be interesting to talk to her about it just because the way that you describe travel nursing is kind of similar but it could be way different coming from her you know what I mean yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it'd be great to get her insight from being in two different uh, hospital systems or healthcare systems. Absolutely. Mm. Then you have a lot of professional achievements, which is awesome. You have been um, involved with this Infinity Leadership Program. Then uh, you kind of have this peer support and mentorship training, which is great. Also communication training, and then clinical nurse education training, as well as cl a clinical facilitator. Did you kind of like like asked to be a part of these things? Did, did people like pick you out and say, hey, Apple, I think you'd be great for these programs? Um, no, it was certainly me chasing. It was certainly me looking for opportunities. Um, and I, I think I was just more interested. Um, I've got, you know, I've got this thirst for learning and knowledge. And um, I just was really fascinated by some of these elements and, you know, quite driven individual so I, I found out some of these programs uh the infinity leadership program was uh was a fantastic experience and that was while I was at university and um I look back on it and now that because now that you've, you've done heaps of other bits and pieces and programs it, it was fantastic like it was it was exceptional how they they were getting leaders through to teach you how to be a leader and you know some of the fundamentals they were teaching was 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 excellent um and so I think you know some of these programs and elements is really I was just driven to um to, to experience it a little bit more and um try and search for uh you know um just something that's interested me more than anything yeah that's really awesome I think those things and just like you mentioned like look for the opportunities are so important for students of the, that listen to this podcast to hear because a lot of times you're not going to be given this stuff you have to go out there and take it 
And I mm. think that that kind of sets you up for your now career as an entrepreneur and inventor and kind of, you know, brings along a line of what we hit on earlier, which is retention. But also when I first met you, you were really passionate about, you know, burnout and how you've experienced burnout, especially in the hospital and healthcare systems. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us, you know, the story behind why you chose the bedside, but also how burnout occurred to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, as, as you can tell, I, I like a story. Um, I like telling things. Hey, we love stories here. So, <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, so burnout to me is, um, is an interesting experience. I, I didn't know that I had it for, for years, to be honest. Um, and so when I left intensive care nursing after that two year, um, that was four years over in Perth. Um, I, I was, I was, I was fried. Um, I just wasn't, I wasn't mentally, emotionally and physically all that there. Um, and I, I just wasn't sure why. Um, and so I, I did leave and went back to the dairy farm and left nursing for um, eight months a year and then got back into it. Um, and, but I, burnout sort of lingered for, for another two or three years until I started to, to, to work out where it was coming from. And so what I was just finding is that um, I wasn't listening to, to myself and, and who I was and what was driving me as a person. Um, and obviously I've done a bit of work on it now, but at the time I just, I just was, you know, I was working away. I was pushing myself in this intensive care role, but I couldn't see the value that I was providing. I couldn't, I couldn't feel that. And, you know, it can be really challenging when you're working um, with incubator patients and people that you're not speaking to all the time. And sometimes in intensive care, you can feel really segregated from your, from your team because you're working. So you, you are working one-on-one a lot of the time. Um, and I just didn't, and I had a lot of insecurities and um, it was, you know, it's a, it was a challenging unit and, it took me a whole year to really to, to feel comfortable walking into work because it was, because it was so many, like we, you know, we had every range of the spectrum, you know, neurosurge to general to trauma, you know, the, wow. I think that every, every piece of intensive care was coming through the door. And so I, I just didn't know how to manage these thoughts and feelings and, um, and I didn't understand what it all meant to me. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's where I ended up having to leave for a period of time. And, you know, I really battled with a lot of these thoughts for, for a long time. And, um, and once, you know, and it, it's not so simple, it's not so easy. And, no. um, <laughs> and, you know, there's so many of us that have probably got similar experiences and, you know, the, the challenging and thinking, well, is this right for me? Um, and, uh, I just didn't know how to process all that. So that's where that's where um, my passion for preventing burnouts come from. That's such a great story. Um, I mean, not everybody realizes that they're going through burnout. I've talked mm-hmm. to a couple nurses that have expressed, you know, I'm just burnout, I need to change. And they rightfully make that change and they're a lot happier after they do. But it sounds like you were kind of in this environment that you have everything thrown at you. And perhaps, you know, you had to prove yourself in some way. I don't know. But in my experience, that's kind of what it was like. You had to like prove yourself to your, to your coworkers. And my ICU is just one type of patient. Sometimes you can get overflow, but it wasn't, you know, everything in one. And I think of hospitals around here that have ICUs that only handle just this, whatever is sick and needs ICU care is what you take care of. And so a lot of times that can be challenging for people. So if students are headed towards, you know, your smaller hospitals that might, might only have like a little like 10 bed ICU versus like where I work, which is a 32 bed ICU, 
which is also crazy, but at least it's not everything thrown at you. It's one type of population. And I think you do it well where you describe, you know, you weren't listening to yourself, but you also were going through a lot of things. Not everybody has the ability to really recognize that in themselves. It takes a lot really to be that vulnerable and to recognize, you know, I think I needed a break and to kind of like leave for a period of time. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it is challenging. Um, you know, this level of uncertainty that, you know, that is created in healthcare or we, we create for ourselves as well, because perspective is the nine tenths of the law, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I've start, I've done a lot of work on, on this and, you know, because I think it's, it's hugely beneficial, and important that if we start to understand what drives us as people, you know, what's import, important to us, um, how do we make ourselves feel more certain or where's the uncertainty coming from and that learning and growing, developing, that's a huge driver for me as well. Um, and, in my role, I didn't, although I was learning so much and although I was gaining so much knowledge, I just didn't feel like I was developing as a person with this, all this knowledge. So, if, you know, it was just a lot of information going through and, you know, obviously I was <clears throat> developing myself as a fairly, fairly, fairly good clinician, but, you know, I just didn't feel like it was developing me as a person. Um, yeah. And so starting to sit back on some of those themes and you go, well, I, you know, I'm not sleeping. Um, I, I don't feel great. I'm, I can't ex like my diet is not great. I, I, you know, all those elements, you know, you start to go, is, 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 is this pain worth it? Um, yeah. And, you know, self-care is, is one of those terms that's popping up time and time and again, but I, th I think it's more of like just giving yourself some time to, to offload and, you know, get the thoughts out of your head, um, you know, and self-care, like that could mean anything. Um, but having that period of time of um, being able to just offload and sit back and think about what are, what do these experiences mean to me? What do these experiences mean to the people around me? Um, and, you know, how, how can you ask someone or lean on someone as a, you know, as a mentor or as a friend and, you know, just start to process some of that information. And it doesn't have to be a really emotional um you know, my heart's on the line sort of thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm not one of those people either because, you know, um, but I think it's, you know, being able to just process some of the thoughts in your head. And if we can, if we can do that, if I'd started to do that a bit more when I was intensive care, I probably wouldn't have burnt out or left. Yeah, that, that's true. And also I think that if we had programs in hospitals that allowed us to do this, it probably would make it easier, but it's also not something that, in, in my personal opinion, is profitable for the health system to do, right? Because a lot of times we like to say, yeah, we'll bring it in, but as long as it makes the hospital money. And I, and I suppose that retention is one of those things that could make the hospital money, but soft skills is what you're mentioning. And soft skills are not profitable by any means. The things that you have to work on by yourself, they can be very much all over the place in terms of what soft skills you need to work on. And not a lot of people are gravitated towards the the term soft skills, because it's kind of like one of those things like, meh, I don't really need that. I like my hard skills of IV access or learning to debate somebody or something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, totally, totally right. And when you think of those in terms like soft skills, you know, um, it's not that appealing. Um, and I certainly, if I was, you know, working clinically and I was looking to develop myself and education wise, I probably wouldn't want to, you know, head away and 
talk about meditation or something, you know, something to offload your brain over a period of time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's more about ingraining that into the psyche of how we function and work in teams. Um, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's moving that barrier, I suppose, just it's being part of fundamental of how we perform as individuals. And, um, and I think one way of looking at it is, you know, pursuing this the, these positive feelings you know i do things on positive feelings alone generally i get up at 6 a.m to be on this podcast because i you know obviously i like him to go <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i mean but also i i think you know positive feelings right and doing something that is that is not only beneficial for you but beneficial for the people that you're serving mm. is something that gets you up in the morning right i woke up i have to wake up this week all the time at i think six in the morning if not 5 30 which in my mind i'm like Really early today. I just want to sleep till like seven. You know, sleeping until seven is late for me. But you're right. Like, if you can find that positivity to really, you know, bounce forward and wake up in the morning, even to join a podcast, it makes it all that much more worth it and builds these habits that you can become resilient in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, my friend uh, BJ Fogg, who's um, he's a professor at Stanford over there. I um, and um, I ended up over in the US in 2019 studying with him and he's a um, professor in behavior design. Um, and two of his main maxims is, first of all, people have got to want to do something. They've got to want to, you know, you know, pursue something or they want to, they've got to, there's got to be some motivation to, to perform, um, if, even if it's getting up early. Um, and then at the end of the, the second maxim as well is that you have to feel successful doing it. Um, yeah. And if you're not feeling successful doing something, then it's really hard to um, continue to do that behavior or process. And so, you know, I've noticed this, I, don't know, I notice this all the time is that if I'm, if, if I don't really want to do something, if I don't want to get up early to do whatever, I, I, I just won't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and why should you, if it's not making you feel successful or, you know, benefiting you in some way, why put the time and energy into it? You know, if it's sucking energy out of you, why even do it? Right. Or it's, it's kind of like doing a lot of things perhaps um, that you're volunteering for. And so like, Back a couple of years ago, I, I would say yes to like almost everything, right? And these would be like free, like pro bono things of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And while I liked doing what I was doing, I wasn't getting paid for that. And I really like getting paid for the things I do because my time is valuable. And I realized that as I've grown as a nurse. And so now anything that's volunteer, uh, I kind of don't put on my plate. Number one, because it's going to drive burnout in me, Right. Because for me, you know, it helps to have a little bit of compensation and it, and that's just me. It, it might not be everybody, but I also realized that as I've grown as a nurse, as, as I've added to my resume, CV, whatever, you become more valuable yourself. And as you add value to yourself, you should drive that value towards others and say, you know what? I don't want to do this thing for free. It's not worth for me waking up early to do. I need something to really like incentivize myself to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that, Right. Because that alone is building positivity, whereas you getting up early to build your business is also building positivity. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe that that sleeping is 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 what you need. You know, maybe yeah. that is what you um you know because 
sleep is sleep is so important and fundamental to to how we function also so yeah no i really like how you you know you do have to prioritize your time and do have to prioritize your energy levels um because you've only got so much for, for the week or for the day um so yeah that that is fantastic nicole that's awesome so through this experience you have now developed an app and a website called fords that's f-w-a-r-d-s and it's now become what, what I hope is this international thing that we can utilize to help solve burnout. And I think to help resiliency and perhaps retention. Walk us through your beginning steps of how you even came up with this concept and what that beginning process was like. Yeah, <laughs> um, there's no linear process, unfortunately, in entrepreneurship well, okay. <laughs> creating a product. <laughs> there never is. <laughs> Um, I guess it was, you know, it's probably, I started off on this journey on the tail end of burn of my burnout experience. As I mentioned it, I probably experience of burnout. Cause I, I got to the pointy end of burnout. I was, I was really fried. I, I just had enough. Um, and so it was probably three years, um, at the end of it. So I, I started to search for things. I was looking for something and I just didn't know what it, what it was. Um, so originally when I was going through burnout, I went back to the farm, um, become a dairy farmer. And, um, you know, I thought that was what I was after. Well, it, you know, it didn't turn out not to be the, the sole ambition. And then, so then I went chasing, I went back to nursing and went into emergency, emergency medicine, emergency departments. And, you know, although I enjoyed that, I, I wasn't feeling really fulfilled and I just didn't have that hunger and drive. So then I, uh, attempted to get into medicine for, for a couple of years, um, and, you know, I really pushed myself. I, I pushed hard to get into medicine. Um, it, it didn't turn out. Um, but then end of that, I, I sat back and went, you know, oh, I just don't think it's that that's right. And, you know, the entrepreneurship come from that. Um, and so I met a developer at a volunteering event um, and started talking about some ideas that I had. And um, he said, oh, I reckon you've got something there. So the idea I originally had is, is um, you know, completely different to where I am now. And um, it was around digital pamphlets, but <laughs> it just kickstarted the journey. It just kickstarted that drive and hunger to create and impact other people's lives and, you know, to, to be more creative and think of a, a solution that, that could solve. And it was solving a problem, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the the main problem, I guess, but yeah, so I, you know, long story, but I, I think it's, you know, it was just, I was really on this search for something more. Yeah. I think, I think you just spoke so well in terms of like, you know, finding what you're not, not passionate about, right. But finding something that has really, you know, pushed you to the edge and maybe perhaps figuring out different pathways of like how that's going to go, you know, for you, it was continuing to work on the dairy farm and then trying to do medical school. Um, and that didn't quite work out. But then you kind of, you know, start talking to people. And I think that relationship building, you brought up so well, and even just kind of like, you know, meeting people, making contacts, talking about things in the open and developing a team process to help develop this is kind of like what led you to develop this app and website. And then what was that beginning process? Like, was that really challenging to build that app? And develop it and then and then try to get it out there was the first prototype what you wanted did you have to do multiple ones yeah yes. so um, i'm to go with yes <laughs> yeah 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 well it was certainly a journey um so 
um, after this period of time, I, I developed, so initially I developed um, a prototype around the original idea and then did a bit of wayfinding and, and searching and to see if this was, you know, if this was plausible. Um, I worked out fairly quickly that it was going to be a tough road. Um, I then launched into another prototype because I had, um, after having these conversations, because I was having these conversations about, you know, solving this problem and and I, I started to unpack and unpick um this real drive and hunger to 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 support staff better to improve well-being and so that's where I started to well that's really interesting I, I know you know I've got a bit of knowledge in that space especially from my experience of burnout so then I you know I worked on that for a period of time developed these prototypes and then I started to ask that around and you know I was talking to people in health and senior leadership roles uh, and then I was accepted into an accelerator program where um, I took this prototype along. And so in that accelerator program, we I had the, the great opportunity to, to really um, deep dive and, and think about the whole solution and, and consider what this is for, for the problem or for my target market. You know, is this a viable business? And so from there, um, you know, the, the app was born from there. I worked with a digital um, digital agency who helped me think through the concept and um, build the design out. Um, and then, you know, after that, I, I then outsourced the, the build of the app to a local company here in Australia. And, um, and it's just gone from strength to strength, I suppose, from yeah. there. Um, and the, the, the initial version of the app was very, was very clunky. Um, and it's still, it's still an MVP or minimal viable product level um it's you know it's not it's it's not calm or headspace you know it's, it hasn't got millions right. of dollars behind it but right. you know it's it's you know it, it just took a bit a bit of time to really work through those um thoughts and concepts and how people use things as well um and so even now like the first version of the app we, we were just realizing how you know you know you don't know until you got someone physically using it and, you know, it's affecting their life or, you know, how, how does that ingrain in their day? So it's certainly a process, but I, I, I loved, I've loved, you know, this process of really just, you know, how can we do something? And, you know, really thinking about how do I, how do I affect change or, you know, how do I understand um, how we can do these things better? And, you know, technologies, I say, I say technology is the vehicle is just, you know, it's just part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had something in my head and now it just really literally escaped me. You, met, <laughs> you said something so clear. I, I think it might've had to do with headspace. Yes. The, the, the other part of that is that you don't have a celebrity behind it. Right. And so you're not going to really blossom with something like right away. If there's not some sort of big name behind it, like promoting all the time. And that takes a lot of money. And usually people who start out in technology worlds are just trying to like make it work. And especially nurses, you know, I meet a lot of people that have ideas, but then they can't really make their ideas to fruition because funding is such a huge issue, you know? Mm. And so I'm wondering, did you have grants for this? Did you, did you like use your own money towards this? Was there competition aid? Were the companies just like, Hey, we'll help you make this pro bono. What was that like? Yeah, so I I had a bit of savings, so I'd I'd um I had a house when I was in Perth, um, and I ended up selling that, and then so I, I did make a little bit of money in in that regard. So I I um I used my savings essentially to 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 walk down this journey, um, and then so yeah, uh, unfortunately I haven't been able to get as much grant funding as I would have liked, um, 
but I, you know, um, that's that kickstarted using some of my savings, and then um, going from there, um, I have gained some investment from family, friends, um, and fools. Um, so uh, yeah, so yeah, I've used it. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. You know, like if you it don't is. have any money, like it really is difficult if you don't have any money or if you if your resources are very limited. There are ways. There definitely are ways to get going. Um, and I was fortunate that I had a, a little bit of savings to to kick me off. But you know, it's just you. I think if the hunger is there enough, like if the drive is strong enough that you you know if the, you've really got a big passion, and I you know passion's a bit of a milky word at times but if you've got a real drive and hunger to do something um you can find a way that's such a great thing to say and it's so true if you if you are so passionate about something and you have even like three people that you can talk to about it and just ask questions to they're most likely going to help you try to get on the path of where you want to go because i don't think people want to see people fail right as much as i as much as you hear this on the news especially over here in america i really don't think people want to hear people fail or see people fail so I met you, I think, like two years ago, I think, two or three years ago, uh, and you were pitching your idea to our, like, health center for innovation, shall we call it, because I don't want to use official names on here, but you had just kind of introduced this to the U.S. market in a way, and we're, started working with people over here. Was this something that came out of this original accelerator? Um, did you meet people to bring you over to the S2? to the US, excuse me, through that? Or was it some other way? Did you like hawk people on LinkedIn? <laughs> Cause I would have, right? Like, hey, I got this idea, let's, let's meet, right? <laughs> so how did, you, how did you accomplish that? Cause that is a huge feat. Uh, hawking on LinkedIn, I, I like that. I, <laughs> I'm now a hawker. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, uh, in 2019, I um, I actually travelled over for about 10 days, and um, I, I was coming over to complete BJ Fogg's in in person program. Um, it's a two day program he runs at, at his place around behaviour design. Uh, I, I'd done a fair bit of research and reading on him, so I ended up over there for that. At, at the same time, I had some spare days, and I was just looking around. Well, I, I was going to be in San Francisco, and I was thinking. What should I, you know, should be doing something else? Maybe there's some, maybe there's another health conference. Um, and so I ended up at Rock Health Digital Health Conference. And I went, wow, that's perfect timing because it just lined up so well for my dates. And so I went to Rock Health and uh, that, that was um, that was an eye-opening experience. And um, I ended up uh, meeting a good friend of mine now who's um, Jeffrey Roche. He, um, you know, we, we got along really well just from, just from meeting him at the conference. And so from meeting him and talking to meeting others at the conference and you know talking to others and then LinkedIn has been you know hugely beneficial in reaching out to others um yeah I I um I've really enjoyed it I I, I love you know I just love meeting new people and connecting with others um and so yeah it's it's um it's a mixture of both I suppose in person um getting to know someone and then you know, having them vouch for you, I suppose, in in because yeah. that's how I, you know, that's how I, we ended up having this conversation. It's because of um, Jeffrey and, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I think that's building those deep connections. Um, you know, is challenging online, and you know, it's it's challenging with the current situation with what's happening. So, um, yeah, that'll it'll come back. That's awesome. Yeah, Jeffrey and I also recorded a podcast episode um, last week. I think now. 
my weeks are all blurred because I've, I've also been like traveling and then I've been working and I'm kind of like trying to take a, this break from school that I've been given. So a lot of things are just kind of like, okay, I can just forget this now, you know, um, I can <laughs> let them go. But Jeffrey is one of those people that has a unique ability to just connect people and connect really positive people to just make things better for everybody. I mean, he is one of the people that I met through um, Hershey and just during that meeting that I met you. So that was the first time we all met and Jeffrey and I still are, are in contact with each other. And he now like wants to bring everybody together again, which is so great. But I think that you have just like, you know, this whole conversation really is about taking advantage of what's in front of you. At least I think, I, I, I think of these themes like all the time, but uh, taking advantage of what's in front of you and really being super lucky when these things happen. And I say that because, you know, not just in the case of, of you, which is so prevalent, um, but in, in so many other things, right? Like this particular podcast is just because I got lucky enough to do virtual clinicals one day and here we are, right? Um, but you kind of like took advantage of a huge conference, Rock Health Conference, that I encourage everyone to go and experience once, you know, everything's kind of settled down because I have personally never been there but I have seen posts from it. I've seen videos from it. And it's just one of those things that just opens your mind to so many digital health things out there, how companies run, how you can fit yourself in with these companies. If like your idea is maybe not perhaps a separate thing, but could really fit into some company that's trying to do similar things. And here you go, you just built this relationship with them. Um, but that's really awesome that that's kind of how you kind of met Jeffrey and then kind of traveled over here to like really do this deep dive into what digital health is in America, because it sounds like it's vastly different than trying to get things happening in Australia. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's there's, there's definitely some there's lots of similarities, but there's a lot of differences as as well. And um, yeah, it's it's you know it's it's challenging, I suppose, when you're because you, you know you look at the drivers of um, healthcare in the Australian system versus the US. And, you know, it's a different system, you know, there's, there's private payers over in the US and, you know, it's a private system, whereas here it's um, it's a public system with with the private contribution as well, but it's mainly public. Um, and so, you know, navigating that, some of those elements and, you know, especially, you know, going to Rock Health and, and learning about some of these concepts and, you know, talking to leaders and listening to um, leaders talk about, you know, a lot of the elements in, in the US, I was just, you know, my mind, my mind was blown. Um, so, <laughs> um, and uh, I'd, I'd definitely do it again. It, it was, it was a fun experience. Well, once the US opens up, well, I should say once Australia opens up, because I think yeah. the US is open because here we are, but once Australia opens up, definitely come back over for multiple health, uh, digital health conferences. I think there's another one um, called health, but it's spelled H-L-T-H. And I want to say that it's, um, it has to do with digital health, but also has to do with like all these leaders in like other types of health products and companies and things like that. And I believe they offer it in New York City, if not Boston, but it could be all over for, you know, for, for what I know now. Um, but that's another great conference for people to experience over here in the US if you're interested in like technology development, um, app development, things like that. Just a little blip about that. So with Fords, you developed this app now and you recently in like May of 2019 released it to nurses across Australia. Was this something that was on like, let's say like an app store on your phone? Um, did you have to email people for a special link? How did that kind of process work? Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, we we released um, to public nurses here, government email, government nurses. Um, so because because um, because of the government system, the public system, you're, you're able to released to a specific audience, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, the initial releases to it um, locally here in Queensland to anyone who was in Queensland, and then we branched out to different states. Um, and so then in the end, it released to, yeah, to all nurses um, who work in the public system. Um, and so they could they could download the app on any app, like on the Play Store or the App Store. Um, but what they would need to do is use their public email address so we could... Okay. Because the, then we can identify that they do work in the public system. That's a great um, idea. Yeah, yeah, it's it it has its challenges though, um, and I'd 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 ideally like something out like we're working on what's that next, um, you know, how we're going to uh, fix that I suppose because it does have some friction points. Um, not everyone has their work emails on their phone, or you know, a lot of people will leave work at work which is good you know you know you don't want to be checking yep. work all the time and you know they'd rather use their private email address it's just that it's um to keep that specific specificity and that the functionality of the app um yeah that's how we've you know it needs to be set up like that at the moment but you know there'll be some changes afoot coming um that can hopefully um open it up and become you know reduce the friction because what i've learned over the last year or two is Friction, friction is the word, is your enemy. You know, you, you want to have as the less friction as possible. Um, and just with how people interact with the app at the moment, it's it is a, there is a little bit of friction there. But you know, we're we're actively working on that. You know what though, friction is also a good idea is a good thing because it tells you where you need to move next, right? How mm. how do we solve this problem? Because you're not going to be without problems. Um, for those listening and working in development and and working even on like an idea you have problems though and friction uh, as we discuss this are beneficial towards you know how do we move forward how do we improve this because continual improvement is the number one thing i think of apps um in terms of how they work and how people you know download them and you're constantly updating them so it's not a it's not necessarily a bad thing but i could see where you have like significant problems sometimes if you're meeting you know friction that's just not helpful towards the app at all yeah yeah exactly um yeah it's just the just the friction of um you know getting people involved and using the application i think that needs to be as streamlined as as possible um and it all comes back to new priorities what what's your priority for the user what's your priority where do you want them to go and how do you want them to interact and you know what's that process look like um and it it, do, it definitely takes some time um, and you can think about concepts, you can think about prototype, like you can think about, you know, oh, this person will walk through this section like that. And I ask all, you know, so many nurses, how, you know, does this seem right? Yeah, it works right. But until you've got them using it, until they've downloaded it, until you've sit, sat there, looked at them doing all the steps, and then you, know, you, you just won't get that insight. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so important. I think of all the things that roll out in our hospital almost daily. And until they, until you actually get nurses using them or people yeah. using them, you just don't know what's going to happen with them. Absolutely. And perhaps, you know, I, I just thought about this. One of the things, you know, once you're ready to release this the, in the U.S. market. So a lot of times we like to put our RN license into things like the, the state and then the number to help verify that these people are actually nurses and they actually have a license to do the things they do. So perhaps maybe not email, maybe emails is the way you go to, but also, you know, things that 
could be valuable. I know a lot of times you have to put in these license numbers just to get things like a special discount or something. So um, might be another avenue for you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. Um, I certainly, I will take note of that. <laughs> <laughs> so walk me through Ford's. Um, how does the app work? What does it do? And how does someone use it? Yeah, so the application um, works. So it's ingrained in shift work because when I was um, unpacking some of the you know challenges that were facing me as a as a nurse, is that shift work was a, it's a huge pressure point. So um, you know, so it starts off with your roster, so you, you know your work schedule. Um, and so for me, um, that can feel erratic at times, and it can be chaotic, and you know it can change, or it can you know you're going from a day shift to an afternoon shift or to a night shift. And so that's where the application starts. Um, so when someone signed up and signed in through their details, um, they'll enter their roster or their their, their shifts and schedule. Um, and from there, then we can you know we can support them to to not only prepare for shift work to um, to to work well but then to offload and debrief afterwards um, and so one of the one of the main features is uh, this uh, debriefing tool um, it's like a mindfulness tool and it's just it's a series of questions that helps you to offload it at the end of a shift um, and then that tool can be viewed on the calendar over the, say the last month so you can start to see some trends you can start to have some perspective and some reflection over how you've been traveling, how you've been feeling, if there's any challenges that you've been facing, or, or, you know, in one sense, what have you been doing well? You know, what are some of the elements that you've, you know, you've been kicking goals with? Um, you know, you, where have you been achieving? Where have you been successful? Um, so you can start to um, hone in on that, you know, what what are those elements um, as well? Uh, so there's, there's that feature. Um, there's a few other features involved in the app. And then the other one of the other big ones is, um, you know, this team connection piece. So that's that debriefing tool is, is for that personal use. Um, and then on the other side of the app is this um, team connection piece. So what we do is we group we group teams together. Um, so say if you and me, Nicole, were working together on, on a unit, um, the application will group us into a, a team chat. Um, and then in that regard, you know, you're able to communicate um, around, you know, fundamentals of, shift work I suppose um, we're not pushing into that patient element at the moment because there's some challenges in that but more around you know those breaks you know checking in um, debriefing you know clinical debriefing not not the full emotional debriefing but just debriefing about what's happening in your team check-ins um, sharing of information resources um, and in that section we've also got um, you know some well-being tools specifically focused around shift work um, you know how can we optimize our day you know just some simple tips and tricks um, that I've learned over the years and you know I'm passionate about that's so awesome you know because you hear so so often about emotional debriefing but not often about clinical debriefing and how do we kind of do this better you know what's the latest evidence say all that good stuff and I think that's such a huge miss at least over here because I don't know how well nurses really do a clinical debrief. Um, I know for perhaps our physician counterparts do like an M&M, right? So these morbidity and mortality reviews, they kind of review one case, but it's not in the moment. And it's often not met with, you know, coming together and discussing things. It's often like somebody feels differently about things and we're not going to talk about it because I feel ashamed or so, whatever may have you, right? I'm a new nurse, so I don't know how to communicate with these people. And perhaps this is a way, so like 
I'll take the example of where I work in the ICU and we have an attending physician that oversees the whole unit. We have nurse practitioners and residents and, and staff nurses. And then perhaps this is a way that let's say a code happens that the attending physician then, you know, starts, starts the conversation of, hey, what did we think went well that day? What, what, what did we think we could fix? Or this is, this is why we did this thing this way to help debrief about what happened. If, if, if that's kind of what clinical debriefing means, correct? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know, we've all been in that circle of, you know, that someone, you know, the, the head mm. doctors, you know, what happened, who wants to talk? Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, right. You talk. No, no, you talk. No, no, I got nothing to say. I don't want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't want to sound stupid. <laughs> right. Right. Uh you guys are MDs and I feel like I'm gonna just stay over here. It's fine. Just let me do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um the idea around that that debriefing aspect in the team is, you know, how do we reduce some of those barriers and stigma? Or how do we, you know, share information between each other or you know, connect over um, you know, some positive examples or just, you know, discuss some some of those elements in a safe place rather than just stand in front of each other. And, and you know, if, if say there's, there's 10, 10 people that's been involved in an incident, you know, there's, there's, you know, a couple of leaders, you know, there's all sorts of elements in, in that team. You know, there's probably four, four people there that won't interact. But, you know, if you've got a healthy amount of information and dialogue coming through, they, they're going to read it. You know, there's, there's going to be some processing of the information and, you know, maybe that's, and maybe that could support the one-on-one -on -one conversations as well. Um, and so, you know, it's always how do we do better and how do we how do we make sure that we, you know, not only performing well, but, you know, the next day we're not still thinking about that incident. We're not still, you know, turning over our head. Could we have done better? Or I don't know what that meant or, you know, trying to answer some of those questions, because I think that's it's one big element in how do we improve nurse retention is making 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 the team feel a bit more whole because, um, yeah. I you know, um, a lot of us are there for the team as well as just as much as our own personal drivers. Um, so I think in debriefing is one of those big elements we could lean in on more. That's awesome. That's that's such a huge, I, I, I think even like problem that you just solved for so many reasons that don't really happen on the unit so well. Um, especially like when you hear about all this discourse between physicians and nurses and patients and whoever else and just everybody really that nobody really does a great job at clinical debriefing people do a great job at emotional debriefing and certainly you can just like at least in in my organization you describe a chaplain and kind of like they'll lead you through a debriefing moment but it doesn't often solve the problem of knowledge gaps mixed with emotion that can happen during the time of crisis and i think you pr probably like solved that problem really well yeah, well, thanks. Um, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, how do you, you know, we're we're very a lot of our drivers and a lot of our motivation comes from a clinical aspect as well. Um, and how do you process some of the information? You know, what yeah. does it mean to you clinically and from a functionality perspective? Um, you know, it's we're not always taught to process that because it seems to be you know very you know, segregated to a degree. Um, but if we're having more open conversations of, you know, what we did well, you know, I really, you know, how did we go well today? You know, start with that positive, but also what we could do better for tomorrow. Um, how can we improve? Um, how can we grow and develop? So, you know, yeah, I, there's some of the, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to see more of it. That's for sure. Absolutely. 
The other thing that I kind of want to talk to you about as well is you participated in another technology accelerator in July of 2021, which I think is the Lumina X. Cause I'm going to, cause I wanted to pronounce it another way and I'm not going to. Not, I, you, you, did, you did exceptionally well. Yeah. Yay. So was that something that you needed to apply to? Was it a competition? Like, tell me like about this program. Cause there are certainly things over here that do, do I think similar things, but what was that process like? Yeah. So yeah, it's an application process. Um, and, and yeah, had to, had to apply, and it was it was it was fairly competitive, um, and so yeah, I, I was I applied to just get that little bit of extra support um, to to move the app, or not even the application, but the business in a direction that um, was really going to be successful. You know, we're really trying to position find find our um, business model and find find whether who's going to pay for it. You know, all those elements and you know, we'd build the app and it was starting to look pretty good, but there's still a lot of questions that I had around business models and, you know, what was the next steps for the application and, and the whole business. Um, and it was this, so also um, this year I've released a, a digital course on, on burnout. And, and so there was, and I had, to, you know, some thoughts in my head and I was starting to get, well, I'm not sure which, which ways forward. You know, I think education could be, you know, a component where we could lead with first. Um, and, and then the application is a complement to the education. And so it's, um yeah, it was just a lot of those questions. And so it's been a fantastic program. And, you know, we, um yeah, and it's all about that community aspect too, isn't it? So they, you know, I, I enjoyed, you know, meeting up with other businesses and we're all really supportive of each other and you know we'd, we'd support each other in all sorts of linkedin posts or you know if someone oh, yeah. needed an introduction somewhere with all of us would be very happy to do it because we're we're all that part of that giving giving first sort of mentality that's awesome yeah i i saw so many posts on that and like the people that were posting i was like oh, we're going to be friends with you we're friends with you because at some point it's going to be exciting to see what y'all do and try to get that stuff rolling because it's so needed in the healthcare space, you know, and not just by people who are just simply in healthcare, but primarily because nurses are the best innovators, and the best, the best people that can think about problems differently because of that sense of empathy that we have and how do we utilize this and make things better. And even like, you know, like the best line of the day is which way forward, right? And that's kind of like, you know, your app moving forwards and how do we move forward with burnout and how to move forward as humans and even like digital like competencies and just healthcare and how do we reduce burnout? How do we reduce all these problems that exist in a healthcare system really and at home? Yeah, well, no, I, I love that. You know, I certainly I might have to put that on a card, Nicole. <laughs> you should go ahead and do that. Which way is forward? That's gonna be the title of this podcast episode, I think. But I'll yeah. probably I'll, I'll probably put the name of your of your app as Fords instead of which way forward because I think that that just kind of like boom you know what I mean that's a great tagline for what what you're delivering that's awesome well Athel anything else you want to mention to our podcast today no just thanks for thanks for having me on um if anyone's listening they want to connect um I'm on LinkedIn uh, fairly active there as you can you can find find uh find me at fords.com um and you can learn um about our course on burnout as well um which we'll be releasing in october it's called burnout no more um and the the link is there on the the website for fords.com awesome i'll make sure to also include these in the notes of the podcast that people can have them as well as your social um 
media account on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I hope to join you again and we bring on the Forbes app and we kind of like, I don't know, maybe do like a, a YouTube thing where we show the app people. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. Uh, thanks, Nicole. You're welcome.